Hello again, everyone. This is Peter Graves, and welcome to Ticket to Fly, the USA Nordic podcast. Thanks for joining us for this series of insightful interviews with the sports newsmakers of the day. And today's guest is a rising star on the U.S. ski jumping team, Logan Sankey. Logan is a native of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, now based at the Olympic Jumping Complex in Park City. But before we get to the interview, I'm joined by my friend and longtime spokesperson and producer of the show, Tom Kelly. And Tom, I've interviewed Logan a a couple of times. Uh, I think one of the things that always strikes me is she's 22 years old. She's extraordinarily wise. Yeah, this is an amazing interview, Peter, and I think people will be struck by her wisdom, uh, some thought-provoking comments that she makes, and uh, she's just having a lot of fun ski jumping right now and really learning lessons that will serve her through life. Absolutely. And uh, of course, uh, you and I have both spent a lot of time, particularly in those glory years of Nordic Combined World Cups and Steamboat Springs, but there's no question about it. It is a very, very special place. And organically, uh, together with the Winter Sports Club, they just uh, create really talented athletes. They they really do. And what was interesting in this interview is to learn a little bit more about how Logan came to Steamboat. She wasn't born there. It wasn't her native home. She was uh, born in Denver. So hearing her story of how she used to go up there and how she eventually moved there and the impact that it had on her and in sport and in her life. Yeah, uh, no question about that. And of course, it hasn't been all the straight and narrow either. It was discovered that she had a heart problem during a a USANS training camp at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, and she had to have a heart operation in 2018. Yeah, that was a little piece that I learned about in this interview. So it's it's really a fun interview. Appreciate Peter uh, the the probing questions you had. I mean, it, it's one. And, and if you're listening to the interview, stick around towards the end because she really puts out some thought provoking principles of what sport means to her and how she defines success. So it's a good listen. All right, Tom Kelly, thanks for joining us, and let's go to the interview now. We found Logan to be insightful and a real joy to have on Ticket to Fly, the USA Nordic podcast. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. And now, here's the interview with Logan Sankey. Peter Graves, and we're glad to have you with us for Ticket to Fly, the USA Nordic podcast from Park City, Utah. We have with us uh, our guest, very happy to have her, a rising star, and U.S. ski jumping is Logan Sankey. And Logan, thank you very much for being with us and uh, joining the program. Thanks for having me. I guess the one question I, I want to first ask you, I, I think a lot of people are interested how athletes right now are coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. How are you and your team working on that and making headway towards the season, if in fact we'll have a season next year? Yeah, I mean, I think something that a lot of people don't really realize is that 
when you're competing in sport at a really high level, it, it doesn't just become your job. It kind of becomes like you're living your job. So it's not like you get to clock in, put some work in, clock out and call it a day. Um, you have to you have to get jumps in and go to the gym, but not only that, but also make sure you're eating right and recovering well and training the mental side as well. So it's kind of a never ending task and it's something that happens in all parts of your life. Um, so in some ways, as athletes, we've kind of always been working from home because you're always cooking meals and doing core and stretching and working on stuff outside of the gym since you really do live your job as an athlete. Um, so in some ways, things haven't changed too much, but we definitely have had to get super creative without home workouts, um, especially at the beginning when um, when we couldn't go to the gym at all and we couldn't go to the jumps. So definitely some fun core workouts, some interesting balance activities with things you just had lying around the house. Um, but really, the shift has been more about the distance between athletes and coaches and also a lot more distance between the next time we actually compete. Because like you said, we're not actually sure when that's going to be. Yeah, interesting. So you are, uh, suffice it to say, you're back on the jumping hills now training on plastic, right? Yes, which has definitely been super great to get back on the hill um, something that I've found really important during this time is constantly reminding myself of my day to day goals um, and being back on the hill has definitely helped with that. Um, I think something to remember is that this extra time between competitions just means it's, it's basically just extra time to prepare myself. And so my goal during this time is to utilize that extra time um, so that I'm super prepared for the next time I do compete. Yeah, that sounds uh, very, very thoughtful. You're 22 years old. Uh, you grew up in uh, what's known as Ski Town, USA, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Steamboat has a special vibe. Uh, a lot of Olympians have come out of there. Uh, everybody is familiar with winter sport. Can you encapsulate what it was like growing up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado? So I was actually born in Denver, but my family used to drive up to Steamboat every weekend to go skiing starting when I was two. Um, and so even though I just skied rec recreationally with my family at that time, I still have so many memories of Steamboat and just having a blast ripping all over Mount Warner and just skiing everywhere. I remember uh, we used to get a, one of those ski maps with all the runs on it at the beginning of the year, and we would color in every run we skied at the end of each day. Cool. And so, I, like, the first year that I skied every single run on the mountain, I think I was six years old. And even though I didn't go to elementary school in Steamboat, I still have so many memories of not just skiing on the mountain, but I did street events in Winter Carnival, and we came up in the summer to watch people jump in the 4th of July before I even really knew what ski jumping was. Um, so then when I finally moved to Steamboat full-time when I was about 12, um, that was the first time I started skiing competitively, but it was also the first time we moved someplace that really felt like home because the community in Steamboat is just so amazing. Um, sometimes. I joke that it makes what could be a super quick trip to the grocery store take 45 minutes because you run into six people that you know. 
Um, but especially after traveling all over the world and competing, which can definitely sometimes be very isolating, it's so nice to come back to a town and a community and place where you really know that there are people who care about you and that community supports both me and all sorts of other athletes and winter sports in general. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, organically the, the folks that have called it home for so long, they really get um, winter sport. It doesn't have to be explained to them. Most of them understand the nuances of uh, skiing and the various disciplines that encapsulate uh, the ski racing sport. So uh, that's cool. Now you started as an alpine skier and you switched to jumping. So uh, what was it about jumping that uh, kind of piqued your interest? Yeah, I mean, well, first, I guess I just want to acknowledge that to be involved in this greater skiing community in general, whether it's alpine or um, racing or Nordic or just recreational, it definitely comes with a lot of privilege. And so I just first, like before getting into how I became a jumper from Alpine, before I even got to that point, I had so much, had such an incredible privilege to be a part of the skiing community in general, since skiing is not really inherently accessible. So I was very lucky that my family both moved to a place where I could ski full time and also that they had the means to support me in skiing. And so um, regardless of all the work that I put in and alpine versus jumping, I just think it's important to acknowledge those aspects of how I got here that I actually really had no control over and to like recognize that because of the privilege coming to jumping, especially from alpine, there were some obstacles that I never really had to overcome because I just had been skiing since I was two. Um, And so a lot of my journey to ski jumping kind of came from things lining up at the right place at the right time. Um, But I guess I can still talk about that like journey to get to ski jumping if you're interested. (laughs) Well, I am interested in, in, uh, in that you have found something that you're devoting all your time and energy to and, and, you're goal oriented uh, and I'm sure want to make the U.S. Olympic team for Beijing. So what was it that that sort of moment when you said, you know, I want to try jumping? Yeah, so we actually when when I was an alpine skier, we would use the ski jumps at Howlson to just practice for downhill training. Um, because, you know, in, in alpine skiing, when you go off a jump, you don't want to be in the air very long. You want to press and get down to the ground as fast as you can because that's a lot faster. And so um, in alpine, we would practice pressing off the end of the ski jump so we, we would have more body control in the air. But we I had a super awesome coach, and um, he would always let us send it on our last two of the session whenever we got to practice on the jump. So we would just get to jump as far as we could on our last two of the training. And I thought that was so fun. Um, And that is what kind of inspired me to try jumping um, just a day a week at first. But then I really had an awesome time 
the first time I put on the actual Nordic skis. And then that year, Junior Nationals happened to be in Alaska. I'd never been to Alaska, so I really wanted to go. And they were a week after Alpine Junior Nationals. So all my coaches agreed that I could do both. And um, I just, the club in Anchorage did such an awesome job with the event that year. And I had so much fun. Um, And after that, I was invited to the first ever Fly Girls Camp. And after spending the whole summer jumping in Park City, that's when I decided to make the switch full time um, to do jumping and kind of put Alpine just as a fun recreational thing and commit my competitive aspect towards jumping. And I, I think I was 16 at the time, which is definitely kind of late by most standards, but I'm really glad that I made that decision to switch. Uh, yeah, you know, I've often heard it said about jumping that uh, you, you, they want to try to get people started young before, uh, you know, you really uh, process fear or being scared in a certain way. Uh, but uh, apparently that was no problem for you. You're, you're not in any way fearful of uh, the sport, are you? Well, that's a good question. You know, I used to would ju- I used to just say, no, no, I'm never scared, um, because I thought like that was what all ski jumpers said, um, that they just had no fear and could just fling themselves off the jump. But as I've gotten older and have done more um, reflecting, I think that if you really say that you've never been scared while jumping, I think I think you got to be lying because there are some times when the conditions are funky or maybe you've just watched one of your teammates fall, but you still have to compete. I, I think jumping is just risky enough that you're not, the probability that you get hurt is pretty low, but it's high enough that there's always going to be a little bit of fear, I think. And the key is not letting that be detrimental to your performance, I guess. Yeah. No, it <laughs> makes perfect sense. And I think that's a, a really honest appraisal uh, of things. So um, you have uh, been on four world junior teams, I believe. You took part in the youth Olympic Games. Um, you've done uh, a number of Continental Cups and some World Cups. When you look at the array of results that you've had thus far, Logan, what do you think uh, is the result that uh, you're most happy about, that you're personally most impressed about? Um. One of the my results that kind of hit a goal that I had been that I had set with my coaches at the beginning of the year and I was really proud of myself for reaching is um, at my last World Juniors in Konderstag, Switzerland. Um, I had set a goal at the beginning of the year to be top 20 um, at World Juniors that year. And as I got closer, I hadn't been jumping that well all season, but um, made a big push right before World Juniors and ended up getting 20th. And so I, I made that goal and I was really proud of myself for that. Um, in terms of competitions that I think 
have had the biggest impact on me. I think definitely those Youth Olympics that you mentioned in Lillehammer in 2016 were a huge motivator, not because I did super well, because I didn't, um, but it was kind of a wake-up call about recognizing that it was the stage that I wanted to be on, and I wanted to be on that international stage, but I wasn't at the level that I wanted to be. So it was kind of a kind of a kick in the pants to say, like, this is where I want to be, but the next time I get here, I want to be better, and I want better results. So kind of, I was really proud of myself for making it to that competition, but the results were more of a motivator than something I was really proud of in the moment. We'll get to the World Cup and and your goals, talk about the Olympics in a minute, but amongst all this success that you were having, you had heart surgery in 2018 uh, at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Tell me a little bit about that, Logan. Yeah, 2018 was kind of a rough year for me. I I had hip surgery in June um, to repair a torn labrum in my right hip, which had been bugging me for a long time. Um, and then right as I was almost done with my recovery for my hip, we had a camp at the Mayo Clinic, and um, they found that I had an irregular heartbeat. Um, so I'm super, super grateful for our partnership with the Mayo Clinic um, because that was something I had ne- I didn't know I had before, and they caught it. Um, so I'm really grateful to them for that. And um, it ended up being I had an extra basically I had an extra electrical pathway in my heart, which wasn't a big it wasn't affecting me very much, um, but could have turned into an issue. You never know. So they just went in there zapped that little pathway um to get rid of it and the recovery they were super awesome the recovery was um pretty easy all things considered uh and now i should be all good to go but um yeah and then i think later like a month later i dislocated my elbow or something oh my. <laughs> so that summer fall of 2018 were definitely uh not super great for me but um went through all the recovery came back um and I'm all good now and uh, better for all of the things, I would say. And Logan, was there a moment when you were at Mayo or uh, in any of these other injuries that you've had to deal with where you thought, oh my goodness, I might not be able to continue with a sport. Did that ever cross your mind? No, I, I don't think I ever entertained that thought even for a little bit because of injury. Um, I think all of the doctors and PTs I worked with and all my coaches were all pretty supportive and um, motivating to be like, yeah, this, this is no problem, girl. Like you're going to you're going to get the surgery, it's going to be fine, you're going to do the rehab, we know you, you're going to put in the work that you have to do, uh, and then you're going to you're gonna be fine, you're going to come back stronger, you're going to be better than ever. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that's true, um, because I don't have pain in my hip anymore, um, and you know, my heart's not going to be an issue, and so I think 
yeah, I, I would say no. I, I didn't really I didn't really ever consider that these were going to be an end to my career or anything. Oh, we're certainly glad that you're a fit as a fiddle now. Let's shift a little bit back to the World Cup. And I, I want to ask you, um, what is the sort of, it, it should be obvious to all of us that follow the sport, but what is the quantitative difference between the Continental Cup and the World Cup in terms of athletic competition? It's definitely an interesting question um, because girls who are very successful on the Continental Cup um, usually pretty quickly make the jump to World Cup and um, start doing well there as well. Um, But, you know, you can, depending on the event um, and the year, you can have a girl who um, wins the Continental Cup, but then maybe maybe makes the top 20 on world cup um so there definitely is a lot of overlap still at least on the women's side of girls who jump the world cup and also jump the continental cup um especially in the younger ages uh but the world cup level is definitely a lot lower speed um and i would say a lot farther distances as well um they'll they've kind of uh, increased how far they're willing to let uh, the women jump, at least in the past year, is in my in my opinion, they've increased the, the distance that they're willing to let girls jump before moving down gates, which I think is really great for the sport overall. So uh, when a lot of the women's ski jumping um, issues were percolating, you were really, really young. Um, but I'm curious to know, uh, what you might have learned or heard about regarding a lot of the women who uh, were at the forefront of uh, bringing women's ski jumping successfully into the uh, Fist family and uh, to the Olympic Games. Yeah, so like you said, I wasn't a part of the sport at all uh, when they were kind of fighting that battle. Um, and so I, I don't know very much firsthand, um, but I'm definitely so, so grateful for all of the work that that generation before me put in to bring the sport to that level where we had World Cups and were included in the Olympics. Um, I didn't switch to ski jumping until after it was included in the Olympics. And if it hadn't had that visibility, um, I, I mean, I, who I might not be in the sport today um, if I hadn't watched it on TV in those Olympics uh, in 2014 and been so excited. Um, so those those girls before me and those other the top women from other countries today, they've really inspired me to kind of continue that legacy and keep pushing myself so that collectively, um, as like all of the women who ski jump we can collectively push the sport forward um, even further to like have a big hill and team events in the Olympics and ski flying events as well. Um, And so I think as we, as our level continues to rise, um, you know, that, that will kind of follow. And thusly, it must be so that you understand as a young woman on the national team now 
most likely that you have an obligation to help uh, carry the torch during this part of your athletic career for another generation of, of girls and young women. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent. I agree with what you said. Um, I think that it's really important that all those young girls who, you know, are doing two or three sports, um, like I was as a kid, um, see girls, older girls having fun in, in one, in the sport that they might want to continue in, um, not just having fun, but being successful and, and pushing boundaries and, um, furthering the sport in general so that they say, Hey, like, I really love ski jumping. Um, and, and there is a future here for me and I can see myself doing what Logan's doing, what Anna's doing, um, what Annika's doing, all of us on the team and saying like, Hey, cause, cause you know, if, if they're looking at their options and saying, Oh, what should I pick? What, what do I want to do more? What do I want to devote my time to? And they say, man, I really like ski jumping and it's really fun, but those, those older girls, like they don't look like they're having that much fun or they don't, it doesn't really seem like there's a path forward for me there. Um, that it would be devastating. I don't want anyone to feel like they don't want to continue in the sport that they love because they don't feel like there's a future there. And so um, definitely I feel like there's an obligation to um, keep pushing forward so that like I'm standing on the shoulders of those girls who, who got it into world cup and got it into the Olympics. And there's going to be some, some girl who's maybe 10 now, who's going to be standing on my shoulders and my teammates shoulders. And so just like building that pyramid even further um, is definitely something that we're all working towards. Uh, the Olympics uh Coming up in uh, just a couple of years, a world championship this year in Oberstdorf, Germany. Quite clearly, you want to be on both of those teams. Do you see yourself, and this is an open-ended question, there is no wrong answer. Do you see yourself uh, <laughs> competing beyond Beijing? That's a really good question and something I think about a lot. Um I, so I think, as you know, I'm also a student at Dartmouth um, and I'm studying engineering right now, um, even though it's remote. And uh, I, after the Olympics in um, Beijing, I will be very close to completing that degree. So my tentative thought at the moment, which I haven't really voiced that much, but is that after those Olympics, regardless of what happens, I think I would potentially take that next year to complete my degree and um, finally graduate after all of that time uh, and then reevaluate after that to see whether um, gonna just it's just going to be a one like a one year break. Uh, to finish school and then come back or whether uh, I will be moving on to the next chapter. Well, yeah, uh, uh, interesting. 
Uh, well, uh, as, as you know, and in full disclosure, my wife, Cammie Thompson Graves, is the uh, director of skiing and women's Nordic coach at Dartmouth College. And um, she's been very impressed with you, Logan. And I am quite certain that you have taken part in a number of uh, big green uh, workouts, uh, weight training, and that sort of thing. What's it like when you've been on campus integrating with a ski team that you're not actually a member of? Yeah, it's definitely interesting that it's been so invaluable for me to be able to, and on those springs when I finish skiing uh, on the World Cup and come back home and start taking classes at Dartmouth, um, to still have kind of a team aspect and people to lift with and work out with um, has been so awesome. So I'm so grateful, first of all, to the Dartmouth team for letting me join them um, because it's always more fun to work out with friends. But also they definitely push me in ways that um, I don't see as much on the jumping side um, because all of those the Dartmouth Nordic team, they're such amazing athletes um, and have so much more endurance than I do. And so uh, it's very, it, it pushes me in that way. And um, it's also just fun to be in the gym lifting um, with with friends. Um, so I, I, I'm grateful for them for letting me do that, but also it's, it's very nice to have a group of people who understand a group of people at school at Dartmouth who understand what it's like to do a winter sport and give so much of yourself to competing. Um, and so I feel like I really connect with mm -hmm. those athletes at Dartmouth. And um, I think we all integrate pretty well because in the spring, once everyone's done competing, it's kind of everyone takes a deep breath and it's a lot more um, social, which is easier to integrate into, in my opinion. Well, uh, your words uh, speak uh, of great wisdom and uh, somebody who is uh, uh, very uh, wise beyond your years. So I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, um, questions that address things more broadly. Um, you are an athlete, of course, and a good one. And so much of athletics is defined by gold, silver, and bronze, whatever level it is. But Logan, how do you define success? Yeah, that's a good question because you're right. When when all is said and done, the things on the score sheet, the things um, that are on paper are just what place you were in. Um, and whether you won or maybe you lost, maybe you got last. I've definitely gotten last at a World Cup. Um, and while it's very easy to say, oh, I, I didn't succeed here because I didn't win or uh, I, I, my goal was to be top five and I was seventh, so this is an unsuccessful event. Um, I think a lot of athletics, whether especially if you're not at a high level but even if you are at the highest level in your sport are so much about what you take away from it and what you learn about yourself as an athlete and a person um as an athlete because 
every event that you go to and every training session you go to, you can definitely learn something from it, whether or not you achieved your goals and use those experiences to become a better athlete. But also as a person, because when all all of this is over, like I'm not going to be a ski jumper for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be an athlete for the rest of my life. So, but the things that I learn in sport about myself, I can definitely take away and use to be, for when I'm done being an athlete and I'm just a person, just a normal person, you know, working a job, doing whatever. Um, I still have learned so much from sport that I can take into that next aspect of my life. I'm curious uh, if you may recount, and there may be more than one or whatever, but uh, who do you think has been the biggest influence in your life uh, up to this point in your journey on the planet? Um, Well, that's an easy question. Definitely my parents. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm only 22, and so most of my life I've spent with my parents. Um, They were the ones who, you know, taught me how to do all my basic life skills, um, put imparted values upon me. Um, You know, my dad taught me how to ski when I was two. So um, my whole trajectory of my life has definitely been influenced by that. Um, But, you know, not just the activities that they uh, had me involved in and, you know, what schools they put me to, but, you know, just uh, teaching me what's a value, what is important in my life. Um, and they have totally just shaped me like Play-Doh. <laughs> well, that's lovely. That's lovely. So when you're on the road and, and you're one of the team leaders and we know these Nordic sports are very essentially individual sports. Um, how do you become a team on the road? Because you travel together, you live together, uh, all of that stuff. Um, how do you create that milieu of being a team? Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely something I think anyone who's in an individual sport where you compete and travel as a team is you know that it's it's always a weird balance um but having teammates you get along with is such an important part of sports that is often kind of taken for granted taken for granted i think um because like you said you, you travel you spend literally all day every day with your teammates working out together eating together rooming together um, so it is so important to have those team dynam- dynamics, um, especially because, you know, if everyone's getting on each other's nerves, then no one's going to be in a good mood, which can definitely uh, end up affecting performance. Um, so I think part of that is just spending more time together and getting to know each other more um, and, you know, figuring out which buttons not to press and and knowing each teammate as individuals. Um, especially because we didn't all grow up together because we're all from different parts of the country. Um, And so definitely getting to know each other better has improved team dynamics uh, 100% because, you know, you know what people like and don't like, and you know which teammates talk in their sleep and um, which ones (laughs) don't mind sleeping with earplugs. And so 
Um, definitely the more time you spend together, I think the easier it is to build those relationships. This summer has been really awesome for that uh, because we're all here um, training together, pushing each other to get better, um, obviously at a distance, but even if we can't hang out like we normally would have because of COVID, um, we've definitely gotten a lot closer this summer, in my opinion. Um, I know that my teammates have my back and I hope they know that I've always got their back too. That's wonderful. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to you. Um, I, I, I love your humanism. Um, you're looking at the big picture on things. Uh, I guess this is the second time I've interviewed you now, but uh, as we get ready to wrap up, what do you kind of do when you're not, uh, uh, or when you're on the road and you want to relax a little bit, what, do, do you have a hobby? Do you have a, a personal kinds of interest that you retreat into to not think about the sport 24 seven? Well, Peter, in fact, I do have a hobby. It is knitting. Um, I do a ton of knitting, especially in the winter when we're on the road. Um, I've knit two sweaters. I knit a sweater each season. Um, so I, I starting two seasons ago, obviously, but I have two sweaters. Uh, I knit a ton of socks uh, two seasons ago. Um, I knit lots of headbands. If you've seen the the USA headbands, my teammates all have them because I made them uh -huh. all headbands and have used them for fundraisers and stuff as well for USANs. Um, but yeah, I'm a big knitter. So that's kind of my thing. If we have long rides to the hill or wind delays or something, I've always got my knitting bag so I can just kind of go into something mechanical and just take my mind off whatever's happening and just focus on each stitch. So I do a lot of knitting would be my main hobby. That's cool. That's cool. And I would think that the act of knitting uh, is very therapeutic in a way. Yeah. I mean, sometimes if you mess up a stitch, but you don't realize it until way later, it's, it can be very frustrating. But I think for me, a lot of times, if I'm super stressed, um, I can kind of get it out by knitting and it'll loosen up over time. Sometimes being stressed and knitting isn't very good for your knitting project because your stitches are really tight. But I think it generally works for me. Um, yeah, but I also sometimes I have school or I like to like learn new stuff. One season I memorized all of the capitals of all of the countries of the world, um, which I, I, I still know. Um, and so I, I usually I'll find something, um, whether it's knitting or some sort of like weird facts thing to memorize. Like, you know, the long, capital of um, Belarus? Uh, yeah, it's Minsk. There you go. That was too easy, but I'm impressed. That is very, very good. Uh, next time, <laughs> next time we'll do some rapid fire questions. How, how's that? But, uh, it's a delight, to, to talk to you. I feel like I know you, Logan, and, and we're wishing you all the best of things this year and, uh, throughout your career. Well, thank you so much. It's been so great to be here with you and with everyone listening. You know, everyone listening, we've we've all come to ski jumping in different ways. But if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're still under ski jumping spell, or at one point you were. So we all have that in common. So it's nice to be a part of that community. Bravo. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Peter.
Well, certainly a great delight uh, to talk to Logan Sankey of the U.S. Ski Jumping Team for Women with her sights set not only at the World Championships and the upcoming Beijing Olympics, but also on life in general. It was uh, a delight to hear from her. That'll do it for us now. If you want to subscribe to Ticket to Fly, you can find us on your favorite podcast channels. That'll do it for now. I'm Peter Graves. So long, everyone. Thank you.